So the most recent work from that series, which I will be showing in Chicago, are close-ups of of raindrops hitting the puddles and a kind of obliterating the images in the puddles, making them disordered. Again, I feel like that pendulum of abstraction representations swung right back to abstraction. In some ways, these paintings are more like the very abstract envelope paintings that I did than they are like the original sky and ground paintings five years ago, which were more representational. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 203rd episode, Shona McDonald makes her return after nearly seven years of her first initial interview. We talk all about her paintings and drawings, which explore the landscape of the Northeast and are informed by her experiences growing up in Scotland. We're also going to talk a bit about her three-person exhibition that opens up at the Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art, Friday, November 30th, from 6 to 9 p.m., Before we get into that interview, I want to note that this is the last week for artists to apply for our 2018 Professional Visual Art Competition. Again, the deadline is November 30th, so get your applications in. This year's juror, Brian Frink, will be selecting three artists to appear on Studio Break in a future episode, as well as one artist for a solo exhibition at Raka Gallery up in Mankato, Minnesota. If you're hearing this and you want to apply, again, there's plenty of time. You can easily go to studiobreak.com, look under our pro competition page, and find that you can just submit a web link with images and your work, and it's going to be quite easy to apply. So check it out, and of course, spread the word. If you're joining Studio Break for the very first time, I want to encourage you to visit studiobreak.com. We've got a lot of archived interviews, each of which have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and you can listen right with the default player or just click that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us in a variety of social media formats, so please be sure and like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with those announcements out of the way, here's our interview with Shona McDonald. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Studio Break. Shona McDonald, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. Thanks for inviting me again, Dave, after six years, did yeah, you say? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's insane because, um, you know, of course, anybody can go back to episode 15 and hear lots of ums and uh, terrible <laughs> audio on my side. <laughs> you know, again, it's it's great to reconnect and, and talk about work like, you know, we're, we've just been doing off uh, the record, I guess. So now we're on the record just to kind of give us a little bit of a catch up. I mean, we've got a lot of artwork to talk about, you know, currently, and I want to make sure that people have some kind of idea, you know, to think about where, where you're from and your, a little bit of your background. So maybe we could start a little bit there and then we'll kind of see where this conversation goes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, my bio is still the same as 2013. <laughs> it hasn't <laughs> changed. So uh, no, I was born in Aberdeen, northeast Scotland, and went to Glasgow School of Art for a BFA in painting. And then after a couple of years living in Glasgow, I moved to Chicago, to University of Illinois at Chicago, to do a master's. The reason I ended up in Chicago was there was a exchange, there was a kind of natural exchange between Glasgow and Chicago at that time in the mid-90s, because Tony Jones, who was the 
who was the director of the School of the Art Institute in Chicago, was the ex-director of Glasgow School of Art. So he had sort of set up this connection. So that's how it happened that I came over and ended up staying all these years. Kind of continue on from there. I mean, I think you lived and worked in Chicago for a bit um, before, you know, we met at Illinois State University where you were a professor for many years. When I left my MFA in 96, I I stayed in Chicago at that time. Chicago was a really, it still is. I mean, it, it was a great place to be a young artist. Lots of opportunities to show. It was very grassroots. You know, all my connections and network of friends and other artists were, were there. And I didn't really have the resources to, to move to New York. I didn't, I actually didn't really consider that as an option. And uh, yeah, as you said, Dave, I uh, I was also living. I was living in Chicago and working in the studio, but also teaching down at Illinois State in Bloomington and going back and forth between the two places. And that's where I met you. You know, we were talking a little bit about this. You know, prior. You know, how things change and how perspectives change. You know, I'm curious now, kind of doing this as long as I have to, especially ask you a bit about drawing and its relationship to painting, because I know that, you know, kind of coming from Scotland you know, islands and, you know, the coast and water and, and things like that have been kind of uh, in your work. But I'm especially thinking about it now, especially as like an instructor and, you know, teaching drawing and having like a real affinity towards it. Were you always kind of drawn more to drawing or painting or was it always kind of both? I I was always drawn to both, but everybody always told me in my art school that I was you know, a very a gifted drawer, and no one ever said that about my paintings. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that actually many people are in that same boat because drawing is primal and immediate and, you know, everybody really does it. But, you know, how many people have actually tried oil on canvas or any kind of paint on canvas? It's not necessarily a, a natural material that one would use it's more of a sort of historical material in a way and so I think it takes a lot longer to learn how to do it and learn not just learn how to do it but learn your way how to do it and I don't think the same is it's not quite the same in drawing I think drawing is is it's just a bit more intrinsic well there's just such a history to painting yes rarely do you come across somebody in my, one of my intro classes where they're like, oh, you know, I know these types of drawings or, you know, they they could think of Picasso or they can think of, you know, Monet or something. So there's this kind of like rich history to it. And again, to me, I, I really like the immediacy of drawing um, yeah. and also almost the challenge because it kind of keeps bringing me back to looking. And I think that's yeah. something that I think of differently when I, you know, make paintings. It's about looking, but it's not about, you know, this kind of direct observational kind of looking. Yeah, painting is much more of a language that you have to learn. It takes a long, long time to learn it and understand, you know, just like every grammar, how to use it, you know, the syntax, the grammar, punctuation. It, it's It's got all of those things that drawing, to me, doesn't really have. I feel like I'm in a different headspace when I draw because I, I don't have to think about things. It comes more easily to me. I... You know, I can pick up the implement and convey the idea. And in drawing, in painting, it's much more stop-starting, much more second-guessing. It's more philosophical in a way. Yeah, and I think more looking. 
you know, like I'm, I'm slowly working through a drawing when I'm, when I'm teaching drawing class at night, just cause I want to see how far I can kind of push it. But it's always something that seems much more about just representation as opposed to, you know, sitting and working through something and then kind of looking at it and kind of going, is that working? Is this enough? Uh, mm-hmm. Is there enough like spare areas in this to kind of activate yeah. these other areas? So I, I kind of know, I kind of feel like I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think to summarize it all up, there's just a lot more doubt in painting for me than there is in drawing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, and and I'm curious, you know, again, for someone to, to visit your website now and to see some of your current work, you know, there's always kind of this relationship between, you know, the landscape and almost kind of like a representation, but then abstraction and mark making. And in some cases, it's like a real flatness, especially to like a you know, the most current work. But I mean, could you talk a little bit about that? I don't know, I guess that history of kind of how you've explored landscape. And I don't know, is that something that changes just based on you changing? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And also change a change in circumstance, you know, a change in where I am and where I'm living. I've always been affected by just my immediate surroundings, which doesn't really sound much of a grand idea. But it, I think it's quite profound and I think it affects everybody. I think also being somebody who has moved a fair amount, which in itself isn't you know unique, getting used to living in places that you're not from and having to develop relationships really from scratch. For some people that have never left their hometown, it's almost impossible to imagine. You know, they, mm-hmm. they just, they couldn't imagine that. But for me, it's, it's, it's just normal. I'm just used to it. But it means a tremendous amount of self-reflection and a tremendous amount of, um, you know, going through and processing emotions about place and landscape and where you're located, and where you fit in. And all of that comes out in the work. I think it's actually through the work that I do that, that, you know, I, I, I go put myself through those mental exercises so i'm curious then too like you know to kind of think about your work since you've you know you're now at amherst and you know you've been there for quite a while now yeah what really kind of shifted in terms of the the work that you're making when you're kind of living in illinois because one of the things that kind of strikes me immediately is that you probably have maybe like a different sense of landscape versus commuting to the city every weekend you know which maybe I don't think of us as having landscape. <laughs> For me, it's a the imagery is sort of a synthesis of what I'm thinking about in in the place I'm living in and the actual representation of the place that I'm living in. And so, what you're maybe what you're seeing in terms of the conflation between abstraction and representation is exactly that. the The representation is the sort of practical transcription of where I'm where I'm at you know where I'm actually living and the abstraction is the the thought process I mean I know that sounds very simplistic but I think that might be part of the reason that there is this conflation or tension in the work between those different languages yeah in regards to moving here as opposed to the midwest there's there are a lot of differences one difference is I think everything here is very vertical just a little bit more cramped, a little bit more claustrophobic. The Midwest, you know, you have big skies, flat plains, no mountains. You're not enclosed in the landscape the same way. So though that has 
quite the emotional effect on well it's had an emotional effect on me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the winters here they're just interminable you know they go on for about six months so you're looking at gray and I grew up in a very gray city with a lot of rain and so that's triggering my memories of that again being here my memories of the midwest are a lot more I don't know for some reason I maybe it's selective memory (laughs) I think more about the summers there you know the stifling heat the humidity (laughs) but these things are all slow I mean the you know my my thoughts on living here as opposed to anywhere else I've lived have taken until now to kind of put together it's 12 years I've been here now and even then they're changing all the time so that's the thing about landscape it's a living thing it's just like a body it's it's always changing it's never static and so as it changes you change your thought about it you change your thought processes around it so I think when we talked last, I mean, you'd maybe just completed your residency at Roswell mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe it just started the Around series or shortly thereafter. So sort of think about like kind of the local places, you know, there's a lot of foliage and roads and these kind of obstructions like little flags or, you know, there's a, a series of track paintings. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of curious, like if there's, you know, like maybe to talk a little bit about the the changes in terms of like maybe what you're interested in. is it really kind of finding something that's visually, you know, striking then when you're kind of in a in a new place, something that mm-hmm. stands out from the old. I don't think I'm looking for visually arresting, you know, scenarios or scenes or images or motifs. I think they find me. I think I just. It's about noticing things for me. And for example, when I started, and, and I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but when I started doing the the drawings, the silver point drawings of the uh, fruit trees that were covered in nets, mm-hmm. I literally would just, one day was just driving up a road and turned a corner and there were these blueberry bushes covered with these white nets that just were just these gorgeous, strange, odd objects just popping out of this greenery and I just stopped and photographed them and looked them looked at them walked around them got back in my car and I just couldn't stop thinking about them they were just really arresting and if I try to then kind of analyze what's going on when I'm doing that I think that definitely is a way of what the writer Edward Casey would would call emplacing or re-emplacing myself so it's an oddity. It's it's something that I've never seen before, or I had never seen before. That for people from New England, they, that would be just a common sight. They would just drive past every day. Uh, for me, it wasn't that at all. It was enough for me to stop and out my car. And so by recording that in a drawing, it's a way of, you know, as I said, reemplacing or trying to understand this place that is foreign. So are you then kind of working on something like these drawings then and, and paintings at the same time in, in terms of the various bodies of work? Because it, it looks like you're kind of, you know, got a couple of irons and different fires so that you're maybe always kind of got something going. Yeah, I, I am. Right now I'm in a position where I don't have a lot of extended studio time. I have very short bursts of studio time, so two or three hours. So it's actually been quite difficult to to paint and especially on a large scale just because you need you really do need extended sustained time to do that so 
I, I tend to adapt my work around my life and that's just the way it is for me. I mean, that might be frowned upon by other artists, but that's just, that's just the way it has been for me. Mm-hmm. And so working on really small paintings, I'm, you know, I'm talking about 14 by uh, 20 inches is the scale I've been working on recently. The drawings I find I can um, pick up and leave off, they're almost dreamlike. You know, I can kind of go into a bit of a dreamlike state and work on them for an hour or so and then leave them and it doesn't matter. There's no drying time. There's no, uh, you know, it doesn't require that I have to be there for eight hours. Mm-hmm. I can I can work on it for a little bit then leave. So it's really good in how it, it meshes with my work life right now. And the paintings, the small paintings started because I, I really just wanted to try a different scale. I mean, it's something as simple as that. I like to move around scale. So I work on, I'll work on really big six, seven foot paintings and then I'll work on really small. Uh, but in the summer, I traveled to Ireland and stayed at the Ballon Glen Foundation for a month. And basically, I, I made paintings that fit in my suitcase. I mean, that was the that was the deciding factor. You know, sometimes I make things that fit into the bed of my car. And again, those are practical decisions that probably a lot of artists make that might not admit too freely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's just the way it is. So I, I do like to move around scale. I think also depending on, you know, if you know that you're going to be doing a show somewhere um, and it's a large space and you have, you're have you going to have the problem of things being dwarfed, then I would shift to a bigger scale, you know, because I think that's quite important to take the site specificity into consideration. And you, have you always been kind of at this point kind of partial to mostly working with, you know, oil and acrylic and you know, graphite and silver point? No, I've I've really moved around in material. There was that whole series of collaged uh, security envelope paintings I made. I used to work on MDF until it got too heavy. I've used a lot. I don't know, for some reason, the working in oil and acrylic has, it's, it seems to fit right now, but I don't feel like I'm necessarily going to be married to that. I think that I do move around a lot. I try not to repeat myself too much. I think that's a very difficult, it's a very fine line to balance for artists because you want to be consistent and you want to really delve down and investigate material and idea. But you've got to be careful that you don't start parodying yourself mm-hmm. and you know making making your own paintings that's something I'm, I'm very wary of. And so sometimes I'll actually stop a series when I'm, you know, at a high point, when I'm in the middle of it and just stop and go and do something else because I just have that fear of repeating myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like reading about, art, you know, artists and musicians that do that also. You know, you, you can, or even if you hear a podcast about a band that didn't like to, to do that, that always liked to morph and change and not repeat themselves and be experimental and fresh. You know, you were talking a little bit about, you know, not having all that time, you know, and I think in some ways it's kind of like a blessing um, just because you have to kind of make decisions with the time that you have and then you're able to kind of come back to it. Is that something that's helpful then too in terms of kind of evaluating, you know, like the various things that you have going on in the studio because you might, you know, you don't have that luxury of, you know, like a 12 hours that I can just spend all day in the studio. I don't have any responsibilities. Well, it's definitely helps to make one decisive. That's for certain. Mm-hmm. 
because if you only have three, three, four hours, you have to be decisive. And so I do a lot of working out in my head before I go in to, to work in the studio. So I, I have a plan about what I want to do and or maybe what I want to accomplish. And I also even think about execution. You know, what, what how is this going to be? How am I actually going to, you know, render or make this image? Of course, when you get there, things things do change. But, you know, 20 years ago, when I didn't have any responsibilities, I would just go in and mess around a lot mm-hmm. more. And I do miss that. I do miss that sort of just or even just standing around. I mean, Bruce Nyman talks about that quite a lot when he writes about his work of just feeling OK about doing nothing in your studio. Mm-hmm. It's OK to just go in there and stand around and look at things. And that's actually what generated bodies of work for him. I don't necessarily work that way, but I do miss that sort of just downtime in the studio of opening up books and flicking through and just wandering around looking at things and picking things up, putting them back down again. I don't really have a lot of that time, but artists are very resourceful and adaptable. And I feel like I've made my artistic process work for me. And it may not be ideal, but it's it seems to be working. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> for what that's worth, yeah. Well, and to think about it too, in terms of that editing process, you were just talking a little bit about, you know, kind of going with the game plan. I mean, is that something that you maybe kind of like a standard question in terms of like, do you carry a sketchbook? But I'm, you know, kind of curious, you know, what other kind of things might, you know, inform that, that process that we might not know. I think, you know, obviously you talked a little bit about, you know, getting out of your car and, and photographing, you know, these uh, covered covered trees. Mm-hmm. But is that something that, that also kind of reinforces the work or, you know, um, adds to it in terms of like photography or, you know, preliminary work or? That's a really good question. I don't, I don't keep a sketchbook in the sense of drawing things out before I go ahead and make them into larger finished works. I do keep studio journal. I actually just got Notes from the Woodshed by Jack Whitten. It's a great, it's a really thick book. It's, it's about this, as thick as a Bible or a dictionary. Uh, and it's his entire transcribed studio notes and journals. It's, it's fantastic. And anyway, that's a digression. But I keep books a little bit similar to that where I write down, I keep a log, you know, I write down the date when I go in and I write down what I did. And just then I will write more sort of personal thoughts about what, I'm working on but I also keep a, a really long disorganized scrolling google doc mm-hmm. of anything from books and that I want to read or books I have read artists that I'm interested in and I stick images in there it's just this really unruly long mess of a digital file that I pull from and I find when I'm writing an artist statement or something I'll go back into that google doc and I'll just see what I've written and I'll pull out some quotes and I find that very useful that it's this ongoing kind of internal dialogue that I'm able to just sort of spit out into this digital file Mm -hmm. that's that's very useful too so I I work between analog and digital well it's interesting too because I think immediately of these kind of little moments where I'll write something down that I'm observing that make me think about my work 
Uh-huh. And this is something that really hasn't changed, um, which is maybe kind of sad because now I'm, I'm thinking myself going back to like 1999 or something. <laughs> but, you know, I remember an artist statement that I wrote about like, you know, my work is about landscape like observed through a car window. But, uh-huh. but I find for some reason, like I'll I'll be driving or the passenger rather, and there'll just be something that kind of occurs to me about, you know, my work or, you know, these little nuggets. So I, I like that idea of, you know, keeping something, you know, written down so that as you're able to kind of go back and, and reexamine it, there might be something that kind of stands out to you, you know, some ob- observation that you've made or, uh-huh. you know, some kind of bridge uh, to think about your work in a different way. Yeah, that's really true for me also. And another reason I find it useful is the range of artists and writers, poets that I'm interested in changes over the years. And I like to go back and find confluence points. You know, I, I like to link things that I've read and people that I've looked at. And I can only do that if I've got this visible record of it. And I, I mean, sometimes I even forget books I've read. And then I go back and I, I see that just jotted down in this Google Doc you know, I read such and such by such and such. And it's, yeah, that's right. That <laughs> that makes sense that I read that. And that did influence this body of work. And it's one of the things I like to talk to graduate students about is how, how do you implement this kind of research into your work without it being didactic or forced? If you read a book, how does it make its way into a, a visual object? And that's one of that's one of the things I, I really like to talk to them about because I think it's very important. Well, and it's just a way of kind of making sure that you stay moving, you know. And that mm-hmm. seems like something that you're invested in, especially if you're, you know, <laughs> having having like a high run of work and then mm-hmm. you know just jumping to another another thing to make sure that everything stays fresh. That's right, and it, it also really crystallizes what you care about as an artist. So to kind of think about it relative, you know, we've been talking about these ideas and processes, um, but to especially talk about it relative to a body of work, um, it seems like the the sky on ground is kind of maybe like a really massive chunk and expanse that goes back to, I guess, how far? Let's see, 2013 that started. Yeah, it's been a while. And so how has that kind of changed? Because, I mean, you know, to kind of go back to some of the earlier works, and I guess to make sure that I'm talking about something specifically, <laughs> how about <laughs> how about like I'm thinking about like sky on ground, like one one through you know three or something like that, you know, where uh-huh. there, there's kind of like this real richness in terms of the greens, and then you know the sky that's reflected, you know, flat shapes and almost like island-like shapes. Well, just backing up a little bit, the the series I did right before that was the series that you had already brought up. Uh, called Around, which in itself was a reaction to just coming back to New England from having spent a year in New Mexico. It's almost like dominoes toppling the way that my work fluctuates. It's almost it's very reactive in a sense. So the the Sky and Ground series was almost like taking a lens and just zooming in closer to the things that I was doing in the Around series. And so the Around series, it's more these sort of oddities of man-made objects that are popping up or infiltrating these very pastoral, rustic, green spaces. But the sky and ground was getting in a little bit closer to that. Um, I think they're a little bit more melancholic, the sky and ground paintings also. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, it's funny. They started just, I just did one. I mean, I just basically was going for a walk one day and saw this really intriguing image or pattern of a tree branch reflected in a puddle. And the shape of the puddle was to to circle back again to something you just said. It was very island-like, the shape. Mm-hmm. And I think the Sky and Grand paintings are related to work I did about 15 years ago where I was painting island forms because the shapes are very similar, like reverse islands in a way. <laughs> Instead mm-hmm. of land surrounded by water, they're water surrounded by land. And I just photographed this particular image that I, I just found very compelling. And then I, I thought, I'm just going to try doing a painting. I didn't think anything would come of it beyond that one. And that one led to another and that led to another and led to another. And then I did this whole series. And, you know, now I think I'm up to sky and ground number 20 or 24, 2021, 20, 22, 23, something like that. Mm-hmm. So they that's how they came about. As I've been working on them, they have changed a lot. I find that what I've been doing is going in closer and closer it's almost like taking that camera lens and zooming in closer and closer and so the most recent work from that series which I will be showing in Chicago are close-ups of of raindrops hitting the puddles and kind of obliterating the images in the puddles making them disordered again I feel like that pendulum of abstraction representations swung right back to abstraction in some ways, these paintings are more like the very abstract envelope paintings that I did than they are like the original sky and ground paintings five years ago, which were more representational. So that's the sort of passage of time in in regards to that, that work. You know, one of the things that I'm really drawn to is, you know, obviously the reflected kind of surface, but then also like these areas that are really painterly, and, you know, have all these really nice textures and subtleties and think about it relative to scale. I mean, it seems like they're, you know, very like physical in terms of maybe like making them too, or, you know, just kind of being able to explore these, you know, really wonderful kind of textures of asphalt and grass. And, you know, I'm imagining some of these places in terms of where you're witnessing them, but could you talk a little bit about, I guess, the process in terms of how mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of worked out? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I I've thought about that a lot. I, I think that relates to the way I was describing the the concepts in the work, the concepts in the work, such that at the beginning, the, the paint was a little bit more, um, maybe in service of the image, maybe I was working a little bit more rudimentary, if there is such a thing, a bit more descriptively maybe. But as I've gone on with the series, I've tried to make, the paint more like the thing that I'm painting, if that makes sense. So that when I'm painting the water, it's more viscous. When I'm painting the the stones or the asphalt, it's it's harder, drier. Mm-hmm. That has that has made more sense to me as I've gone on with the work. Because to use your word, physical. If the work is physical, it becomes palpable, and therefore I think more emotional. The process also is. It's an ongoing struggle because the images themselves are flat when recorded through the camera. And also, if you think about the what I find fascinating about reflected images in bodies of water is, especially where I crop them, is 
the actual object that's reflected isn't in the frame. I crop the photograph in a way that the object isn't isn't in the frame, it's just the reflection. So there's a real mysterious quality to what it is being reflected. And I really embrace that aspect of presence through absence. Well, to kind of bring it to something that I think about too, I mean, I there's a, a farm that I visit all the time and will take ridiculous amount of images of things reflected <laughs> in this particular area of water. Um, mm-hmm. But it's weird because I, I wind up taking a lot of really abstracted photographs that, again, they kind of feel specific, but then mm-hmm. they're not something that's just overtly representational. So to kind of think about it relative to the work, it sounds like then, you know, as it's kind of gone on, you've kind of honed in more kind of like, you know, zoomed in more. So it's kind of more and more about this kind of response that, that seems kind of specific, but then, you know, kind of draws you in more emotionally as opposed to just something that, you know, looks like a, you know, a pasture or something. Yeah. I find myself getting less interested in standing back and, you know, as a, as a scene, as a pastoral scene or as a, I suppose more of a kind of conventional distance between a viewer and a place. And I find, I find myself more interested in just sort of standing right on top of it, looking down, you know, Mm -hmm. into the little niches and crooks and crannies. Does like seasons kind of change over the course of this work? Because, you know, if I think back to like my initial indication or initial way of working would be to like, Oh, I've got a show coming up. I'm going to make 10 paintings about this by a certain amount Mm -hmm. of time. And so as we kind of continue to have these long, you know, um, explorations of a subject, it kind of allows us to even see something like seasonally Mm -hmm. that that's different or maybe thinks about that idea of time changing. No, that's a, a brilliant question that that happens. I feel like that happens with me in an almost dumb way in the sense that I'm working on an image get, and then I get in my car, I drive somewhere to go and pick up something or whatever and I realize, oh, yeah, that the image I'm working on in my studio is a different season. It's the wrong season you know, mm-hmm. because I've been working on it so long and the, the season has shifted since I've been working on it. And I have tried to embrace that. And one of the ways that I've embraced that recently is by not necessarily through the images that I'm depicting, but actually through multiples. So I've been doing a lot of diptych, triptych and multi-panel pieces that have been really useful to imply time and and movement. Rather than doing it through a narrative, I'm doing it through, you know, a physical, you know, through physical uh, series or sequence is maybe a better word. Well, and I would think that would be something that kind of makes it interesting then to think about how you're going to organize them for an exhibition, because I would imagine there's some then that obviously you're pairing up because they're meant to be paired up, and then ones that kind of feel like they're more on their own. I have to admit, in the last couple of years of painting, I've I only have been making pieces that have partners or, you know, cousins, mm-hmm. <laughs> close relatives because I have been more interested in the temporal aspect and, and also just the, the body moving through space. Uh, I like the motion of having, you know, having a three or four part painting and having to walk back and forth to see it, to actually see it in a space and how that implies the actual experience of being outside and walking past something and seeing seeing it as a glimpse. So the 
it's it's a really useful strategy for me in my work right now. Well, it's really interesting to think about, you know, how the work will be seen in person. And I guess now would be a nice time to talk about the three-person exhibition you have coming up in Chicago. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the other artists that are participating and what the show is called and, you know, what people can expect to see. Yeah, it's called Increment, and I'm showing with Barbara Cooper and Yunshin Park, both Chicago-based artists, and it's at the Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art, and it opens the 30th of November, 6 to 9 p.m., and I'll be there for the opening. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, yeah. And so you're going to be showing then both the painting works and then the, the drawn works. Yeah, and a third series of drawings called Ground Covering that maybe I could touch upon also. Sure, sure. I mentioned briefly the genesis of the ghosts' drawings, which are the um, tarpaulin or or gardening net covered fruit bushes and uh, fledgling plants. And they form a series called Ghosts. Generally speaking, are quite large scale. The largest one of those is about six feet I also have a series of drawings called Ground Covering that I'll be showing uh, at the Ukrainian Institute. And this is a series of 28 very small scale, I think they're six by eight, silver point drawings. In some ways they relate a little bit more to the Around series. Similar to the Sky and Ground series, these, these have been going on since 2014. I started this series in 2014. And I did these drawings in between other work. You know, I made the entire series in this sort of in-between time. And in some ways, the series itself is about in-between spaces. So it didn't start as a series. It started just by making these little drawings and sticking them in a drawer. But then as I accumulated more and more, I started to show them in groups. I started to show them together and... Recently, I photographed them all as photographed them as a four by seven grid of twenty eight drawings, and I really like how they hold together. The title "Ground Covering" is um, it's got a double meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, the first meaning is we talk about ground covering in gardening terms, so ground covering uh, our plants, but we also cover things on the ground with tarps and nets and so forth. But we also use the phrase I covered ground, meaning I I managed to go somewhere or I managed to achieve something. And I like that that pun on the title, uh, ground covering. Um, so that series I'm going to be showing also with the ghosts and the sky and ground series. The ghost series, if I could just talk a little bit about the title there. Um, I was actually reading a book by Marvin Carlson, who's a theatre critic. I don't know anything about his work, but somebody suggested this book to me and how it related to to my work. The the book is called The Haunted Stage, and he talks about, um, in theatre particularly, this term or phenomena, the haunted stage, is that the space isn't blank. It's, It's got these iterations of other plays kind of embedded into this, onto the stage. And he also talks about the haunted stage in regards to actors' bodies and how, you know, the, the notion of being typecast and how an actor has these other roles that they've played embodied in their in their persona. And I really like that in relationship to how I saw these 
uh, shrouded plants in the landscape that they, you know, they had all these ramifications of, of other things embedded in them. I mean, yes, they're a very utilitarian covered fruit trees, but they're also ghosts or shrouds or memorials. You know, I really like that way of framing the work and, you know, in reading Marvin Carlson's book. And in the sky on ground, there's so many multiple levels of imaging in that series in the sense that, yes, the sky is reflected on the ground in this puddle and then it's flattened. So when I make a painting of it, this massive space of sky to ground is reduced to, you know, a flat surface. But not only is the sky on the ground, but the ground is on the sky because it's a painted image. Mm-hmm. And so I really like that whole sort of teasing apart of these different levels of space and image. And so titling, I think, is very important in how it can frame how people look at something. Absolutely. And again, it, it sounds like it's a going to be a massive exhibition of your work in terms of the number and the breadth of the different bodies. Yeah, and also how it relates to Barbara and Yunshin's work, who work both work sculpturally. Um, but I think the, the title of the show, Increment, is, is really potent in how it brings us all together, all three of us. And the other similarity in our work is, is which is also implied in the title, is the, the breakdown of the small fragments or parts that make the whole in how all of us work. And I think, yeah, if you, if you look online, you can see what I'm talking about there. Excellent. And I'm imagining a really interesting show, so I hope people go and check it out. Um, as we're wrapping up, just remind listeners, you know, where they can find out more about your work and, and see it. And, you know, maybe um, just remind us the details for this show again when it opens. The best way to look at my work is on my site, shonamacdonald.com. And, yeah, you're right, Dave, I'm, I'm going to be coming out to Chicago at the end of November. I've got a show opening, a three-person show with Barbara Cooper in Yunshin Park called Increment at the Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art. It's on Chicago Avenue and it opens the 30th of November from 6 to 9 for Friday. And I'll be out there for the opening. And I think it's the first time I've showed in Chicago. Two years ago, I showed at um, the Riverside Art Museum. That's uh, that's going to be really a cross-section of, of three different bodies of work. And also really excited to, to show alongside Barbara and Yunshin. Excellent, excellent. And yeah. just to make sure, too, you are on Instagram as well. So where can people follow you there? Oh, right. Shona Isles. Um, at, at Shona Isles. So it's S-H-O-N-A-I-S-L-E-S. And I occasionally do Facebook, but I haven't been doing that so much lately. Not with all the um, data breaches and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, amongst amongst uh, pictures of cats and people's um, bagels, I think I just... <laughs> was Facebooked out. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, again, as always, it's it's great to talk to you and have you back on and, you know, let me poke around about your work. So thanks, thanks for taking the time. Thanks so much, David. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again. Thanks once again to Shona for joining me. Check out her work at shonamcdonald.com and, of course, follow her on Instagram at Shona Isles. You can also see her work in person if you're in Chicago at the Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art, Friday, November 30th from 6 to 9 p.m. The three-person show is entitled Increment, and it's with Barbara Cooper and Yunshin Park. So be sure to check it out Friday, November 30th from 6 to 9 p.m. 
Another reminder that our 2018 Professional Visual Art Competition is wrapping this week, so if you want to apply, get your applications in today, you can go to studiobreak.com and look under the Pro Competition Information to see that it's very easy to submit a website or images in an artist statement. This year's juror, Brian Frink, will be selecting three artists to appear on Studio Break in a future episode, as well as one artist for a solo exhibition at Raka Gallery up in Mankato, Minnesota. So if you're an artist and interested in applying or know other artists that are interested in applying, please help spread the word. We'd really appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode, please check out the archive that we have on studiobreak.com. Tons of interviews with various artists. Again, each of them have images of the artist's work as well as links to their website. So please peruse and check it out. You can listen right there in the default player or just click that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. So that way you always have something to listen to in the studio. Be sure to like our Facebook page. You can also find us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Let me thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his work at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, you can check my work out at DavidLinaway.com. And if you like what you hear, again, please give a shout-out. Say hello. You can find me on Facebook at David Linaway and, of course, on Instagram and Twitter at David Linaway. As always, thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>